Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. Holy Father, we're here at this place in point in time of our worship review where we have opened up your word. And we don't want to be here on our own power, but ask that your spirit would lead and guide our hearts and minds, that your character, your word, and your wisdom would be illuminated into our hearts and that our lives might be changed, that you would stretch us so that you might equip us to use us in your kingdom work. Lord, help me not to add or to take anything away, but to be a worthy vessel. Lord, handling your word for the benefit of this group of people, that they might be built up and that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple. So this is important. We haven't left yet. We haven't left yet. Last week, we introduced the six, uh, you know, uh, groups of people that are, you know, it was the, uh, uh, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. They challenged Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they challenged Jesus. The Sadducees, they came up. They challenged Jesus. And so all of this activity is happening in the temple. We think we're somewhere around Tuesday or Wednesday, kind of in this discussion of things that are going on. But here he is still in the temple. And all these people, he's silenced their questions, everything that's happened. But now he's teaching the people. And so in uh, Mark chapter 35, Jesus taught in the temple, and he takes this group of people that are standing around him, and he says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I'll put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he the son? And the great throng heard him gladly. All those who were listening heard him gladly. Now, we have this account of this story, and I didn't do it in my video, but I'm going to ask you to do it here. Uh, would you, you know, just put your finger in Mark chapter 12, and would you look with me at Matthew chapter 22, verse 41? Because there, this really is, we get this beautiful opportunity to fill in some gaps, okay? So this account of this story is with us in Mark, and it's also with us in Matthew. In a little bit, we're going to read another piece in Mark that's not in any of the other Gospels, but it is in Luke, and so that helps us fill in some detail there too. But it's the same conversation with just a little bit more detail, and it's important that we look at it because it's really addressing two groups. One in Mark, the whole big crowd, they're just enthralled. They're like, woohoo, that's really good. But let's see how this is set up. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were all gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Okay? So it's all set up. He says, what do you think about the Christ? This is his question to the Pharisees. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And Jesus said, how then is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is it he's the son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So in Mark, we have the account that, you know, 
Everyone was enthralled. That's a big group of people. But directly, the Pharisees and the scribes, he asked them, what do you think of the Christ? And correctly, they answer, he's the son of David. But Jesus then quotes from Psalm 110. How is it then that he says, in the Spirit, the Lord says to my Lord? And they just stone silent. They don't know what to say. Now, I'll never forget the very first time I spent some in-depth study in Psalm 110. I happened to be on a park bench in Rochester. Tammy was at a really important conference, and I was on a park bench reading my Bible, looking at Psalm 110, and right there on that park bench, just me and a couple of squirrels, my heart just exploded when I read Psalm 10, uh, Psalm 110 verse 1, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, And by the Holy Spirit at that place and point in time, I knew that I was looking at the Trinity of God, that that God the Father says to God the Son that all of these things were coming together, and of course in that full revelation, but I bring all of that about because the reason why they answer in part, they said, well, the Christ is the Son of David, and in part, they're right. Their motives are all wrong. They're thinking that the Christ will come and that he'll come from a kingly line, and that it will bring honor to the nation. What they miss is that the Christ will come, and that honor belongs to him. What they don't understand, if we're going to put it in a phrase maybe that we understand today, is Jesus says, what do you think of the Christ? And they answered in the phraseology that made sense to their motive and what they wanted. But it might be like me asking you, hey, what's the gospel? These people should have known the answer to this question. They should have known that, yes, the Christ would come from the line and lineage of David. But instead of all of this being for them, that it would be God that was glorified and that all of these pieces would come together. They still don't get it. So now they're just abjectly stuck. Dang, they're just stuck. They can't say another thing. Meanwhile, the group of people's like, wow, this guy is great. How is it that we have the two? Because Jesus is sharing with them the truth of who the Christ is. There are groups of people whom if we will share the gospel with, will gladly receive it. If we will be more worried about God being glorified than what other people think of us. If we go, and don't, don't lead, keep that mark like it. See, I should have had paper clips. I could have handed out to everybody. Okay? Go back with me to Mark chapter 12. But keep your spot in Matthew. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus went on in chapter 12, verse 38. Jesus went on in his teaching and he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. Beware 
of the scribes. Now, last week, we introduced all those people groups, and we'll see them all again. And while they won't ask Jesus any questions up to this place or point in time, they will when they get the whole big group called the Sanhedrin in for a rigged trial on Friday. Okay? But as we go through and as we look through the account, as we see everything that was happening, I want to make mention of one word. And if we're going to, on this day, on this day, this sermon is all about perspective and reevaluation. Perspective and reevaluation. Whose perspective? Ours. Our perspective must be checked so that we see as Jesus sees. And upon seeing as Jesus sees, then we need to be willing to reevaluate everything that we think we know to the gospel. Everything that we study, everything that we look at has to be reevaluated to what the Bible says, what the gospel is, what Jesus wants. We let go of all of the otherwise, what we have is no gospel at all. We don't have the God who loves us who sent us. We don't have all, we have our version of it. And so with the right perspective, we want to see things clearly and be willing to reevaluate because the scribes, the chief priests, the, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, they were having none of it. They weren't willing, right? Even though they should have known the gospel, even though they should have known the Christ, even though they should have, they weren't willing to reevaluate, to heart check nothing, right? Now we read in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, beware of the elders. And I just want to, I just want to say for, for all of you, right, whenever you see the word beware, what do you think of? You think of a little sign that says beware of the dog. Don't you? Yeah. And then I know certain people, certain people in this building, in this room right here right now, you've all said, oh yeah, I see that beware of dog sign all the time, right? But I'm a dog lover and I'm not scared. Okay, so we push right past the beware, or you've shown them at somebody's house, and it says beware of the dog, and the dog just doesn't move because they put that sign up like 12 years ago, and now the dog's like 14. Say, beware of what? You know? So at any rate, my point is beware is not a strong enough word. So now what I need you to do is I need you to go with me back to Matthew chapter 23. Because in the context of this entire conversation, before we move on any further, one of the things that Matthew records for us that Mark does not is Jesus unloading on these scribes and Pharisees and such and the like. Now, this might be entitled, another sermon, another time, another place, right? The seven woes, okay? So in Mark says, beware, right? But here it is, woe. Woe to you. Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, he said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and sow and do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move or even lift a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, placities broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honors and of feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, and being greeted in the marketplaces. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and no man... And, excuse me, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is heaven, and neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. All of this started when asked the question to the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? 
And when we have the gospel correctly, we understand that it is God who leads and directs and teaches our hearts in accordance with His Word. If we are willing to see things correctly and reevaluate everything right according to Scripture and according to whom and what God calls us to in the gospel. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I know I've made mention numerous times to the uh, passage in James chapter 4. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God, and he will exalt you. We know that. We've seen this theme over and over again. Uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he told his disciples, whoever desires to be first will be last, and whoever's willing to be last will be first. Jesus said of himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is a theme that we've seen over and over and over again. But these scribes, these chief priests, these Pharisees, they won't get it. So here's where he goes. He says to them, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Whoa! Oh, you think that's bad? Keep reading. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Excuse me, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea into land to make one single convert. And then when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as a you yourselves. You see why we had to get past the word beware? Right? This is serious stuff. Woe. Now, You might be tempted to look at Jesus' language in all of these things, and you might be kind of like, wow, whoa, yeah. um, I can see why this group of people really, really don't like Jesus very well, right? You you look through there and you go, "He's, he's he's not holding back anything. He's really letting them have it. And we'd be like, yeah, well, no wonder this group of people wants to arrest him and kill him. But if you think like that, and I'll tell you the truth, I had that thought too, I want you to know that that is the voice of the flesh. It is sin. The voice of the flesh, sin, says, I understand why these people want to kill him. You know why it's sin? Because he's the Christ. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is perfect in his proclamation. It's truth. We should repent. The penitent heart realizes that God is perfect, holy, and just. That the Christ, His Son, is perfect, holy, just, righteous. That He is the righteous, just, a judge. The penitent heart responds, Lord, help me. I never want to be like that. I never want to be one of those who shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. I never want to be one of those that makes a convert that's worse than me, that loves you less than me. Lord, help me. Save me from myself. Help me. Teach me. Save me, yes. But lead me, guide me, be at work in me so that I see the way you see. And so that I see the kingdom the way you see the kingdom. 
Like I said before, an entire sermon could be preached on those woes in alignment with the kingdom teaching. Maybe we'll come back to it. But as Jesus was going through and sharing with the whole of the group, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they shut down. They're like, that's it. We're not going to talk. We're not asking any more questions of this guy. We're going to get him, right? And they're going to get the big group uh, gathered around. We're going to look at that in the future. And the other group of people are like, wow, we're finally hearing the gospel plainly spoken. They, they're all excited. Jesus breaks away. He steps away, and he gets some quiet time. Look with me at chapter 12, verse 41. And he, that being Jesus, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watch the people putting money into the offering box. And everybody, oh, here it goes. Pastor's about to talk about money. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I love this picture of Jesus. He's gone through, and if we'd have read all of Matthew chapter 23, we'd have gotten all the woes, we'd have gotten all the reactions, and you can do that on your own time. He is called together great throngs of people that have come around to hear, and they're glad to hear what he has to say about the Christ. And he just takes a moment, maybe like I'll do after this sermon, to just kind of put up my feet and close my eyes, only because it's Father's Day. No, truth, I do it every Sunday. But he just quietly sits down, and he starts to people watch. Jesus, the people watcher. I think about this verse every time I graciously, willingly, lovingly take my wife and daughter shopping. I love to take them shopping. I have two rules with shopping with my, my wife and daughters. And that is that I will drive and drop them off at the door. That gives them plenty of head starts. Then I can drive around the parking lot and find the perfect parking space. If that takes five minutes or if that takes three hours, I will find the perfect parking space. Okay? Then upon finding the perfect parking space, I like to go to sh places to shop where there's a bench or some place to sit amongst all of the other zigzagging that takes place between all the other shops. I can sit in the middle and just touch base with it. Hey, we need to go check out. Oh, that's fine. I'm fine. And I just sit there and I think of Jesus every time I sit there and I people watch. And uh, when I people watch, there's only one thing that goes through my mind. And all the people I see, I just wonder which one of them also knows Jesus. And so overwhelmed with my desire to share with them the gospel, I have actually been tempted to stand up on the bench. Ladies and gentlemen, of the Mall of America. Then quickly be escorted by mall security or something. But God knows my heart. I've been moved to do so. But if only we had the time to invest in the lives of other people, wonder who knows Jesus, who knows the gospel, who's been hurt by Pharisees and hypocrites, and who has questions but isn't brave enough to ask them to whatever it is in the kingdom work that must take place. Heavenly Father, I'm willing to go, but you got to open the door so we can have these conversations. Jesus is watching people. And he sees something incredible. 
Verse 42. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make up about a penny. And he called his disciples to them, to him, and said to them. So there he is. He's by himself. He's people watching. And he watches this, this poor widow put these two small coins in the bottom. And he, he tells his boys, come here, come here, come here. Calling them to him, he says, truly I say to you. This is a sweet conversation. After unloading, beware of the scribes. Woe to you hypocrites. He has his guys with him. And he just says, I tell you truly. What we're about to hear is truth. Sweet, kind truth. I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, and she uh, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. All she had to live on. I wonder what happens next. <laughs> right? I wonder what happens next. Could we project what we believe or think might happen? That she puts in every one of her possessions and then Jesus taps Judas on the shoulder and says, hey, you're the dude with the money thing. Give that chick, you know, let her, let, give that widow some money. Could you, would we believe that maybe that was that? She gave everything she had to live on. Did, did Jesus then, what did, he, what did he do? I don't know. It's not recorded for us. But you see, that's the way benevolence works. Because Jesus also teaches that when you're in those situations, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. The question isn't what Jesus did. The question is, what will you do? What will you do? He teaches us a simple, beautiful truth, and the question is, what will you and I do? This woman, <laughs> according to Deuteronomy, right? In the law of Moses, it's, the, it's the, the poor, the widows, and the orphans that are entitled to have some help from the poor box, right? And instead of getting help from the poor box, she's given everything she owns into it. I mean, she had every right to stand by the poor box and said, excuse me, excuse me, can I get a withdrawal? But she doesn't do it. Now, Jesus just went off on the religious leaders. She could have taken a look at everything that she had in her possession, and she's like, wow, there's no way I'm trusting these monkeys with any of my money, right? And we see people do that all the time. It's like, why would I, why would I entrust that to, you know, to them? I mean, you know, not here, by the grace of God, not here, but we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't sit there and hold these things like, you know, that, that, that I'm not going to give because they might, they, might, they might spend it on blah, 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 right? Right? We can't. We can't ever be like that. We can't. You know why? She wasn't giving it to the church. She wasn't giving it to the temple. She wasn't giving it to the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders. She wasn't giving it to them. She was giving it to the Lord. Why did she give everything she had? Because she was giving it to the Lord. It was her faith that said, even notice everything I have, 
I want to give him something. And so she gave it all. Believing, trusting that he would take care of her. You know, we want to fill in the blank that she walked out the temple and found a dollar. I mean, that's, that's not the point. The point is the perspective and the reevaluation of our own lives. What would we do? Is our trust and faith in God so profound that in place of giving out of our abundance, we would give by faith? See, I knew he was going to talk about money. No, stop. Listen to me. Because I have no interest in your money. Because the, the, the currency of our lives is time. Time. What did I tell you when I'm people watching in the mall? I don't have enough time to ask all of those questions. I don't have the relationship. But collectively, we do. Collectively, we do. See, we'll throw some money at this, throw some money at that, but the currency that's most valuable in our lives is time. Will we take the time for the kingdom of Jesus? Will we take the time to be in fellowship with one another? Will we take the time to read God's word? Take the time to pray. Take the time to ask questions. Take the time to seek people out who need to hear the gospel. Time. When I think of this and I think about like I said, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That is in stark contrast to the woes of the Pharisees who were slamming shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces, whom Jesus said, right, don't do what they're doing. No, our, we are called to live the life Jesus lived as an example for us. He gave all. And I think it is appropriate that today is Communion Sunday. It's appropriate. Because he gave us this time of communion to remember him as an example. That what he's taught us, he's already lived. What he's taught us and asked us to see, he's already shared. And so, we're going to take our time of communion right now. Okay? I'm going to try again. My closing thought isn't going to be real smooth, but I'm going, to, I'm going to share it anyway. Please be patient. Here on this Father's Day, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we look kindly upon God our Father with thankful hearts that He sent His Son Jesus. We're about to go out into a world so, pro so strong, so powerful is the relationship between a dad and his children that some of the people that we engage won't have had a good experience with their dad. And so when we talk about God our Father, they're not going to be interested in what we have to say. And so we have to so know the gospel and our Father's love that we'll take the time to listen. We'll take the time to invest. We'll take the time to love on them. And then they will know what you and I know, that our Father loves us. And that according to His kind intention, He has included us in His family, which will never end. Have a good afternoon. Thanks for being here. Let's have a great week. God bless you all.